That's, that would be better written down. Or, or unsaid. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. For this. Do we just go into it then? I think so. so. Yeah, let's go. This week, I, d- I don't know why I did the lost voice. This week on the podcast nobody asked for. Previously. It got me hooked. I'm in. <laughs> so, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, good. So there's an island and there's a lighthouse, but it's not a lighthouse, but it is a lighthouse. It's, uh, anyway, this is the podcast nobody asked for with me, Ian Harris. Me, Graham Jones. And there's Ian. There's someone else knocking about. Wait, what? Where am I? <laughs> is this thing on? <laughs> technically, I was about to say I'm your first guest, but technically I'm on every episode, aren't I? My name's Nate, by the way. I was going to say, you may, have heard the, you may have heard the voice before. The voice of Nate. If, if anything, you're the, regularly they will hear your voice before mine or Graham's. Yeah, which I'm honoured by, yeah. by the way, because, you know, I've listened to it before and I'm like, oh, that's me doing the, the thing at the thing at the beginning. <laughs> I've made it, Dad. Yeah. Is it on your CV? Yeah, when I tell people I do podcasts, I just mean that. I mean, I'm on podcasts. <laughs> I'm on an intro to a podcast, and it's that bit, which I'm very proud nice. of. Nice. <laughs> so I'm in the, the theme tune. So not only are, are we guys doing a podcast, you're also doing a podcast with those guys that are doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is like a, a meta. I don't even, my brain is about to explode right now. Because technically, <laughs> when this goes out, you'll be saying, ha, you guys are doing a podcast to yourself. That's true, isn't it? I'm going to sound like a right, right idiot. People are going to be like, that guy, that didn't age well at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which did by my own we, petard. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll just start, we'll, we'll we'll start again from now, and we'll edit in a different voice. Yeah, there. please do. In fact, if I put yeah. on a different voice the whole way through, people will be like, "That's." I swear, Nate Saunders <laughs> is the same guy that does the intro because they'll probably know, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe probably, but so we'll, probably yeah, not. I do. So we'll just start again. So welcome to the podcast <laughs> nobody asked for with me, Ian Harris. <laughs> And then Graham would say Graham, and then we come back yeah, to Nate. Yeah. So this week on the podcast Nobody Asked For, we're covering the best races in cinema. That's why we have our uh, our glorious friend and F1 journalist, Nathan Nail Saunders, on the line. Oh, thanks, bud. And you used my graduation name, which I'm really proud of. <laughs> I have many, many, many names, my actual name, my nickname, and my graduation name, which um, Ian was there in the room when... My name, full name, Nathaniel Saunders, was read out like Ian just read it out. And all I heard and all Ian heard was our friend Callum, two people back from me, just go, ha, like that. And so when people ask me, how was your graduation? That's all I remember is somebody laughing at my name uh, being you know, badly you know pronounced. When you, yeah. You know when you hear someone throw their head back? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was that kind of laugh. It was... Uh... It's a glorious, glorious moment. Were you two both really disappointed when graduation, it was a pipe with a bit of ribbon around it yeah. that you held during the pictures? Massively. I always thought it was edible, which so much to my surprise <laughs> when I tried to eat into it. <laughs> Everything is not cake. I know, why? Well, I, uh, I found out the hard way. <laughs> so anyway, Nate likes F1. Yes. Well, I like about it so much, I'm paid yeah. to write about it. So obviously when you guys were doing a racing episode... I was honoured and humbled when you said, come on. And then I had to do a bunch of research about racing movies because it turns out I haven't watched as many as I thought I had. Well, there's not there's not many. There's a lot of F1-esque racing yeah. movies. And, and esque is the important, important word there, as I'll come on to later with a, a few of them that tried very hard to be something they definitely aren't. Um, but yeah, no, this should, this should be good fun. Um, I'm looking forward to it. 
be good. So before we before we get started, every week we have a movie recommendation nobody asked for. And this week, because we're just ruddy nice people, we're going to let the guest hey. have a go. So don't, don't fuck it up. This was sprung on me about five minutes before we started filming. But I knew, luckily, instantly what it was going to be through my research to this. It's not going to be one of my films I bring to the table. But I did watch it. <laughs> embarrassingly... Uh, an embarrassing amount of this movie in re- in preparing for this podcast when I wasn't going to bring it to the table anyway. And that's Seabiscuit, which involves some great racing scenes between horses, obviously, because Seabiscuit was one of those. Don't know about you, Graham, but I'm, I'm so glad we got an F1 journalist on board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, it, you know, not everybody likes car racing, but everyone likes horses, right? And everybody likes Tobey Maguire. He's in it. So, Perfect. Is it? I I can never remember with Seabiscuit. Is it the horse or Toby Maguire who's partly blind? It's it's Toby Maguire. Yeah. There we yeah. go. If, if it was the horse, you'd have been fucked. Um, Equus is Equus the blind horse one. Uh, well, Equus also Equus isn't about racing. We don't have to talk no, about that. Also, blind horses would really struggle with braille because you can't feel that through a hoof <laughs> unless you make it hoof shaped. Do you just press it into their side? Yeah, that. To be honest with you, yeah, but you have it. It's like nail. Like you couldn't. If feel any it. Hollywood studio executives are listening to this, I think we've just come up with the next great blockbuster. Is Seabiscuit, but Seabiscuit's the blind one, and Tobey Maguire is trying to communicate with him through horse braille, and he realizes the only way to do that is through hoof shaped, <laughs> <laughs> through hoof shaped letters. Helen, Helen Keller. Yeah, yeah. Helen Keller meets Seabiscuit. Turns out the horse yeah. braille was the friends we made along the way. So it's it's a very nice movie, first of all. It's got a good, you know, feel-good vibe to it the whole way through. Bit of history in there. It's around the Wall Street crash, which apparently was a real thing. Didn't know that until I read about it. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't a real thing. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, it's got Tobin Maguire in, and it's got Jeff Bridges, and someone else whose name I've completely forgotten. Yeah, it's just a really good film. Every time I've watched it... What's the horse's name? <laughs> hey... I don't know. Black Beauty, I think. And Tobin Maguire plays Seabiscuit, who's a jockey who's blind. No, so Seabiscuit, but it's, it's based on... Uh, I'm fairly sure Tobin Maguire is Spider-Man. He actually, he becomes <laughs> Spider-Man later on in the movie, which was a real curveball for me. I didn't realise that that was going to happen. Um, but Seabiscuit is based on a real a real horse nice. called Seabiscuit and this real battle, uh, real battle, sorry, real race battle or whatever they call it. Battle Royale. I don't know what battle. they call it. <laughs> horse, horse land. You aren't thinking of I'm war, thinking of sorry. War Admiral is who he who he ends up having this race against. Yeah, and it's just good. And it you know, it was like a the little horse that could basically. I've always thought it was a nice film. So there you go. The F1 journalist suggesting a horse racing film. Nice. And if people have seen Sea Biscuit, maybe they've had enough of listening to films about racing mm-hmm. after this podcast. Have you got maybe a second film that yes, people could watch this week? Uh, yeah, Midsummer is definitely a film worth watching. I was going to get to Midsummer eventually. I just wanted to throw a few other movies in there. Midsummer. So watch Apollo thirteen, then watch Midsummer, then watch Sea Biscuit to kind of overcome everything you've watched on Midsummer, which I'm told is awful. Well, I mean, it goes without saying. That's the that's that's, that's the triple that's the bill. Yeah. bill the world needs. I think it's got everything. It's got a bit of space, a bit of whatever Midsummer <laughs> right, is, so. and then horses. Perfect. So horses and Swedish cults aside. So as we have a guest, we're switching up the format a little bit. So we've each bought two choices this week, and then at the end, we'll figure out our top three from those choices. My first choice, then, is a film where the lead was originally offered to Peter Fonda, who turned it down because it was too ridiculous for words. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) So... It is 1975's Death Race 2000, and the race I'm talking about is literally the entire movie. The entire movie is the Death Race, and it is fucking awful. But that kind of awful, which is kind of amazing. 
In summary, the rules of the death race, which is set in the distant future of the year 2000, it's a transcontinental road race from New York down to New Los Angeles because sci-fi future towns and you have it's new los angeles in um double dragon i was gonna say it well. definitely is possibly i think so it's it's, it's, it's where unim- it's they, unimaginative scriptwriters go for futurists they're like wait just put new in front of everything <laughs> and then we're good is it is it a shared universe is does double dragon De- take Demolition place in Man is san andre uh no uh san angeles but it's it's standard sci-fi fodder yeah and in the course of the race you also have two 12-hour stops in st louis and in Albuquerque. That means the first leg of the race is just over a thousand miles. The second leg is just under a thousand miles. And then there's 800 miles to the finish line. On the way, you get points for killing civilians. So you get 10 points for a woman, 20 points for a man, 40 points for a teenager, 70 points for a toddler, and 100 for anyone who's 70 plus. <laughs> so. But surely 70 plus is easier to take out than a toddler. Well, there's a, there's a scene in the movie... It's a bigger target and slower. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie that takes place on Euthanasia Day at the local hospital. <laughs> so all the doctors and nurses leave all the old people outside for the racer that's going past to plow. What's great about this is that in the 70s, that's what people thought the two, year 2000 was going to be like. Just like, there you go, there it is. Euthanasia Day. <laughs> yeah, go on. Who thought we would have had a fascist leader of the US? <laughs> and then, like, certain races will have cults of followers who will sacrifice themselves so that their racer can get points. It's basically wacky races for an adult audience. So there's five races in the race. There's Frankenstein, who is the main character, who is David Carradine, basically dressed as a gimp with a cape. And I can't stress that enough, he's dressed as a gimp. You have Calamity Jane Kelly who's driving a car called the Bull that has, like, horns and is painted up to be like a cow. Uh, Frankenstein's is painted like a crocodile. You also have, in the Buzz Bomb... See what I mean by fucking wacky races? In the Buzz Bomb, you have the swastika sweetheart, Matilda the Hun, (laughs) and her lovable Nazi navigator, Herman the German Bock. You have the Lion, that's driven by... Ray Nero the Hero Lonergan. Um, and then Joe Machine Gun for Turbo, who's played by a post-pornography but pre-Rocky Sylvester Stallone. That's a lot. And yeah, and his car has uh, like Tommy guns on the front and he's basically dressed as an Italian-American caricature. So I love that he then took that same energy to Rocky. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to take the same caricature <laughs> yeah. to Rocky but just take get rid of the car. And there's also literally swastika-waving... Kind of American fans in the audience. And again, who would have thought that Nazis would come back to America? Who'd have thunk it? In the movie, the president announces that it is the greatest sporting event since the days of Spartacus. (laughs) It's so bad. Um, The cars they used often wouldn't start, so they'd regularly have to push start them down hills. And to make them look quicker, they've kind of overcranked the camera, so they're kind of sped up. But it means that it just looks like a bad Benny Hill episode. So you could take any racing scene from this movie and put the Benny Hill theme tune over the top and it would work. Rocky gets into a fight at one point with Frankenstein. So you get to see Rocky losing comprehensively in a fist fight with a gimp. Uh, And the gimp also has a hand grenade in that his hand is a grenade. How does that work then, the hand grenade? Barely. With difficulty. Towards the end of the film, he needs his navigator to... 
will work the gear stick. Nice. I I can't I can't stress enough how incredible this film is and how awful the film is, but how incredible the film is. It kind of makes you think like if you were in the death race, what would your stupid paint scheme be on the car? So we've we've had a crocodile in it, we've had a bull, general mafia attire. Which would have been my first pick. But if I can't do that. You know what springs to mind immediately is the mutt car from Dumb and Dumber, the giant dog car. Oh, the mutt car from Dumb and Dumber would yeah, be amazing. But, you know, add some flames to the side or like as a flamethrower or something. So it's like a dog driving at you and then it just like breathes fire at you. Because I think it would throw people... And it's quite a big car as well. So you could soup that thing up. Probably probably rack up quite a lot of points. Uh, that could work. And then you could get you could get one of uh, Harry or Lloyd to be the navigator yeah, as well. and just mark yeah. in the back. <laughs> I would go with, seeing as you get the most points for killing senior citizens, I would cover it in Werther's Originals. <laughs> <laughs> so constantly wa- walking towards it, like zombified, like, ah. Oh. And then headlights come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ah, this, this isn't your first death race discussion, Graham. <laughs> Graham was in death race <laughs> so, 1990. It- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm intrigued. You said it's a thousand miles stop, about a thousand miles again. You, stop you stop and then for 12 eight. hours where if I, yeah. if I understand correctly, you have to fuck your navigator. <laughs> okay. That's what, that's what happens. It's, it's definitely a good, bad movie, which means there's just there's ran, unnecessary, just boobs. unnecessary boobs throughout. So, okay. So my question, this is to you, Nate, as a serious F1 journalist, by the year 2000, did we have the technology to allow for thousand mile races before, in, like, so thousand mile legs in between pit Absolutely. stops? Absolutely. And the reason we didn't have that is because of Bernie Eccleston. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't, it's a fascinating concept, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to think which series of race car you would want for this kind of race. It obviously, wouldn't be an F1 car, but you'd want like a Dakar Rally style, you know, drive across the desert in big old cars that you can kind of fix quite easily. And then get going again. I think he could have done it. Maybe not to that. To, yeah, maybe not so to that length because you need some fuel that hasn't been invented yet, or you know, stuff that you can fill up once and then never have to fill up again. Because I assume there's no scene in Death Race 2000 where they're stopping at a petrol station for ages and <laughs> filling up, and going to pay for it, coming yeah. out like, oh god, this, oh, every, this is the fifth time in this race I've had to fill up every, every yeah. race. Like, <laughs> and all these people are walking past. I'm just counting the points we're missing, Steve. Yeah, there's like, look at all these, yeah, all these people. There's, there's old people everywhere. Um, so yeah, that that alone, yeah. Damn it, just, Steve, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to begrudgingly fuck you later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is very kind of Paris to Car in that there isn't. It is checkpoints rather than an actual track. So you do right. have kind of all the races going off in their own separate directions. Uh, you then have the classic, like, 70s movie trope of the red line on the map. Nice. You can kind of keep track of where they are. And at one point, so I wasn't fucking around when I said it's wacky races for adults, somebody falls for the old painted tunnel trick. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Which, Super. But there is, there is actually a wacky races comic book series, which is set in the post-apocalypse. Oh, it's so cool. It's- I did not know that. I need yeah, to get my hands it, on one of these. It's so much better than Death Race 2000. But I, I, just, I, <laughs> so, I like the film because it is enjoyable. The race is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it's fun to watch because you have no idea what's going to happen next. So one more question for our um, esteemed journalist friend. And I'm going to ask you this, Nate, for every single movie we speak about. 
So sure. just bear this in is mind it, for the future. Would Lewis Hamilton win this as well? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, but that is quite that is a good well, one. Well, I'm glad because the answer would well. be a categorical yes. Because <laughs> at the moment, like they just all these movies would end the same way. Like, man, I've seen this one. So F1 is you know maybe not in its most exciting time at the moment. As you mentioned, Lewis Hamilton is winning everything, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were to pick an element from Death Race 2000 to introduce into Formula One to liven it up. Which element would it be? See, the easy answer here is the whole co-driver thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just because that would be fun. Like, at some point in the race, you have to stop male or female as a driver, and you have to get intimate with your co-driver. You know, how would that happen? Do they take the race suit off? Is there a place you do, you know, that would be quite interesting. Where do they Um, sit as well? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you come into the pits? Like, where does the co-driver even sit in an F1 car? That alone is a question that I want to know. They were in and out um, of the pits in 12 seconds there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the record at the moment for pit stop is 2.9 seconds. And I think, you know, Fuck, I think we really? can all say to Red Bull. Yeah. You can't do that, anything in 2.9 seconds. I, I, I can do stuff in 2.9 seconds. <laughs> because in F1 now, there's no refueling. So you, you come into the pits... They change the tires super fast, and basically, then they need to reload the machine guns, clean the gimps, yeah. the drivers. Well, this in. is why this is why elements of Death Race 2000 would help F1 because you'd be like, "Can you just clean the gun turret while I'm here?" And you know, maybe yeah. I, maybe just scrape whatever's underneath my car yeah. off because it's obviously I'm losing downforce. You what, what, you, what you need to do is just try and find some more old people. We're a couple yeah. of points behind. <laughs> That's a good question, though, Graham. I think so. My real answer would be. Enough stuff that make pit stops interesting and accessories on cars. So you're kind of going down the Mario Kart route of they have kind of comic weapons that they can kind of fire at each other. It's definitely That's- comic weapons in Death Race 2000. One of them just has bull horns. And there's a, there's a guy who does the proper matador thing with it. Seriously, guys, you have to watch Death Race 2000. You, you know it's a good, bad movie if it's in its entirety on YouTube. Yeah, that is the... Nobody wants to own up that they own it long enough to file the copyright claim. My first pick for the best race in cinema is not quite in the same realms as um, Death Race 2000 in terms of being insane, but also it is quite an insane race. There is a lot going on, and that race is the opening sequence of Ready Player One that came out in 2018, and it's quite timely that we're talking about that today because Ready Player Two was was published just just today. Um, I haven't read it yet. Could say you're not ready. For player two. <laughs> um, so Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg. Spielberg? Spielberg? I haven't heard of that guy. <laughs> so his movie debut. Directed. Uh, quite a good one. <laughs> <laughs> premise of the film is following this guy called Wade, or his in-game name, which is Parzival, which is, is really wanky. And it's his quest to basically unlock the secrets of Oasis, which is this like virtual reality MMO that basically everyone in the world is playing because in 2045, everything is a terrible. And so they just escape into this uh, VR world. So basically, they decided they wanted to call it Oasis and came up with the acronym to make it so. Oh, yeah. I read it again <laughs> earlier and it's it's really forced, isn't it? It's really forced. I can't remember. Apologies, my dog is snoring very loudly right now. As soon as you start talking about Ready Player One, he's like, I'm out. <laughs> it's, oh, God, guys. said enough. Yeah, and so basically, in order to unlock the, the secrets of Oasis, they need to figure out these keys, and the first key is hidden behind this race. The race... <laughs> so they've known, like, the race was the way to get the key for, like, five years, but no one's figured it out for five years, which I feel like... 
Someone probably would by now. But anyway, we'll get onto that in a little bit. But essentially, whoever wins the race gets the key. But they people go back to it time and time again, and no one can no one can get to the end of the race. No one can win it. The race kind of kicks the movie off. It sets the tone, and it is it's incredible. Like Ready Player One, the book and the movie properly relies heavily on references to other movies and video games and stuff. Some and- would say entirely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But also, it's fun. Um, and this race is absolutely chock full of them. So the cars, you've got the DeLorean that Parzival drives. Um, you've got Canada's bike from Akira, driven by Artemis, who's like the lead female slash love interest. It's a monster truck. There's a monster truck. You've got the 1966 Batmobile. You've got the Ford Interceptor from Mad Max 2. I mi- I missed the Interceptor. Yeah, so did I. I rewatched it today and I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, the Interceptor's in there. Uh, you've got the A-Team van. I was too busy looking at the at how cool the DeLorean is because in that they make it look super like it's a cool looking car anyway with the, the back to the future spec but it looks really cool like in the computerized kind of graphics I was watching that for most yeah. of it the thing is like it's but back to the future is the best thing that has ever happened to a car it's like <laughs> yeah isn't the DeLorean renowned for being a piece of shit car I think that like, was kind of like that was the joke right yeah yeah I think at the uh, time it would have it would have that that part of it would have made more sense than now now you're just like, oh, the DeLorean is the Back to the Future car. But back then it was yeah. like, this awful car is the one that unlocks time travel. Yeah. So, yeah, you've also got the the van from the A-Team. You've got the Mac 5 from Speed Racer. You've got Kit from Knight Rider. You've got the RV from Spaceballs. I, I missed and, 75% of these while rewatching that today. Even even for you, Nate, there's an F1 car at the beginning as well. I saw that one. I did see that. Couldn't work out the paint scheme, though. I'm not sure what car it was meant to be it's it's a call back to the old i think nez game pole position right uh, you've sense. also got a bunch of like characters so you've got lara croft is driving one of the cars dizzy from gears of war ryu is there and a covenant elite from halo as well all taking part so like this if you want like the biggest mashup of cars characters movies games i mean this race has basically everything and then there's also guess obstacles you'd say thrown in you've got the t-rex from jurassic park that pops up and then you have king kong who's like the final boss and also when king kong appears the original music from the 1933 movie plays which is quite cool references on references on references yeah it's quite it's quite a sensory overload i watched that scene and i was pretty impressed with how much they throw at you Early on, well, it's 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 a testament to how much we missed. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I did notice that the the music that you said that that went over my head completely. So if I watched that again, I'd be like, oh, there, yeah, that's what Graham said. So I feel like you miss yeah, half yeah. of the stuff they throw at you, like the F1 car and like the A team truck. I didn't even see. Yeah, there is a lot going on. I think you're so busy looking at everything. I was I was just distracted by the Batmobile. I think. Because I, I, so, I, I could clock the Batmobile in every single scene, but I think that was all I was looking for. So apparently when the Batmobile skids, the the cadence of the skid is the same as the the na 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 Batman noise. Nice. Like, they've That's gone, really clutching at straws right there, isn't it? But I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've gone overboard. But it leans into it, and I think it's a lot of fun. The race itself is is pretty awesome as well. You've got, like, all of these traps and shit popping up the track is changing constantly as the race goes on as those things happen i mean it makes mario kart look like a piece of piss you've got explosions galore and i think it's sort of just as much about 
staying alive as it is about finishing the race and uh, like as you see in the first race that we see is that only two of them make it to the end um and yet it kind of turns out to be unwinnable until it turns out that they basically the the main character figures out that there was a secret to the race which is linked to (laughs) it is very convoluted but it's linked to an (laughs) argument between the two create creators of oasis which ended with them saying... Noel and Liam. The Gallagher's. <laughs> hey! <laughs> nice. Yeah, ended we are the worst. The we bishops. are officially the worst that we both did that at the same time. I think uh, that says a lot about well, us as people. I wouldn't say the worst. I mean, you know, definitely maybe. <laughs> oh, uh, champagne, super... No, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway, they have an, an argument and one of them says, why can't we go backwards for once? Backwards really fast. Fast as we can. Really put the pedal to the metal, you know, Bill and Ted did it. Which basically makes Possible realise that he should try and go backwards in the race. So he goes back again, goes backwards and goes under the... Basically, you can drive backwards without encountering any obstacles whatsoever and win the race really easily. I do find it a little bit unbelievable that in five years... Not a single person fucked about and drove backwards at the well, we've, start. We've all played video games with people who don't know how to play the game. Yeah, yeah like absolutely. someone would have accidentally pressed reverse and ended up, or would have missed the start yeah. somehow and been like, "Okay, well, screw this. I'm going to drive backwards. I'm going to be that guy," and then inadvertently won it that way. So yeah, I think that is a flaw in the script. Hey, look at look at me, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, so and that bit, you know, the the kind of backwards underground stuff is definitely not as entertaining as as the first version of the race where you kind of see everything. But but yeah, and interestingly, so the race isn't in the book at all. It's completely written for the movie by the same guy that wrote the the book. But so in the in the book, the first key is obtained by beating a demi lich two out of three times in a game of joust, which is an old arcade game. Um which that does sound made up. Of... That just sounds made up off the bat, doesn't it? <laughs> I'll beat you in a game of jousts, sir. I kind, I kind of feel it's understandable that that didn't really translate to a, a big screen blockbuster release. Watching two guys play an arcade machine um, <laughs> over and over again. But yeah, like Ready Player One obviously has its faults. It's not, you know. But we're not talking about the film. We're talking about the race, and the race itself is filled with some of the best cars from cinema and um and video games some great characters you've got t-rex from Jurassic park you've got king kong you've got explosions you've got traps i mean it's it's a lot of fun the important question is which vehicle you would want to drive very very good apart apart from obviously frankenstein's from death race 2000 which other vehicle would you want to drive i guess your answer from the previous round goes for this as well mate just the dumb and dumber Dog car. Yeah, I think that's going to be my answer across the board here because that is just a great iconic car. I'm not sure how fast. I mean, I, the, the great thing with um, Ready Player One is they're all quite souped up, aren't they? The cars. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you've got. Yeah, I don't know what I'd go for. Maybe the um, the massive shopping trolley from Jackass Three. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's good. I like that. I would actually no. I would I would go and on, on the Mad Max from the, the the Tom Hardy Mad Max movie, the one with the guitar player on the front I was, i'd drive I was, that i was t- torn between that or the car which tom hardy is tied to <laughs> yeah well i think any of those because that that is actually a great scene and i was actually thinking about that when we were prepping for this it's not it's not obviously a race is it but it's a great that has some great car scenes it's in a it. race against time 
Yeah, yeah, a race against the bad guy. Is is isn't that just life? Pretty much. Um, but yeah, that would be mine if it wasn't if it wasn't the Dumb and Dumber car. Optimus Prime, I guess. Oh yeah, but do you, I mean, but you, you don't really get the benefits can, can of him in, in a race, do you? Because then he's just a car. Can you go inside Optimus Prime. That's the whole premise of the movie, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Is that Shia LaBeouf is in that car the whole time, I thought. Right, then not Optimus Prime. We will go for Pat Pending's car from Wacky Races. Basically, I just really I just really like Wacky Races. Which, I don't know about you guys, was a joke I didn't get. I didn't get the joke oh, of Pat Pending, so I was about 24 years old. And I was like, I, then someone said, oh, Pat Pending. I was like, wait, his name's Pat Pending and his car <laughs> keeps changing? That's genius. At the time, I just when I was a kid, I just did not get Nate, it. Same question. What from Ready Player One race gets into F1 to spice it up for the 2021 so th- season? Right, driving backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, um, honestly, it would have to be the rampant T-Rex and King Kong just laying waste to the circuit while the race is going on. Because there's a, it's just the random element you need to make an F- F1 race great is a giant ape or a giant dinosaur, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't care the outcome of the race. He's not like, I need Lewis to win or I need... Ferrari, he's just like, I'm just, I'm mad. I'm angry. And you'd just get whoever is the, I guess, the last one in the race would win. So I think that would, I mean, I'd, I, I'm not sure if I'd want to go and cover that race. I might stay in the estate, stay back in the office and do that, you know, or, or from home now, obviously. You would cover it from a biplane. It's just kind of going around <laughs> King Kong. Yeah, I mean, a are biplane these, might not even be safe. Are these cumulative? So is it King? Yeah, yeah we're adding them all together. So the, the races at least yeah. would have weapons on their vehicles to be able exactly. to defend against Exactly. So I, think, against I think that would make it even more interesting as well because if that if those things were there, you could either, you might have the conundrum of do I attack my rival in this corner or do I you know one of these crazy you know, otherworldly beasts do I fire at them or whatever. So I think it would add a huge huge element to the to the races. So my pick, which I understand is quite a historic one, first guest pick on here. So I've actually felt a lot of pressure. And I'm getting emotional kind of, just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I've been dreading this. Uh, I was actually going to text you guys just before we started recording, like, guys, I can't do this because of the pressure. Um, <laughs> but I think this is quite... I've, I've actually texted a few people who I work with and people who I don't work with being like, what, you know, what do you think is the best racing scene ever? It's amazing how many people bring up this movie, especially people in our kind of millennial age group. And it's the pod race from Phantom Menace which I think watching it again recently, I think it probably has aged a bit worse than how good it was when I remembered as a, you know, as a nine-year-old kid watching that film, but it's still super entertaining. So for anyone who hasn't somehow seen Phantom Menace, the basic premise is, I'm, I'll, I'll get to the bet later because I don't think anyone understands the bet that Qui-Gon Jinn, the Jedi, makes with Watto, the trader. But basically, if Anakin wins this pod race, he's free, is basically what you got to know. And it's the, again, proving that George Lucas is the king of coming up with weird names for stuff. He's entered into the Bunta Eve classic. Now, you can say anything you want about George <laughs> Lucas, but I will, f- I will die on the hill that he is the best at naming random things. You know, like um, Scruffy Little Nerve Herter, for example. Like, he actually wrote that. I think it's genius. Like, he doesn't <laughs> get enough credit point. for that. He, like, there's just stuff he comes up with. That's something that used to not exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now people will say it. You know, I used to bullseye want prats in my T16 back home. That is nonsense, but it's, it's one of my favourite quotes from anything ever. Um, so it's the Bunta Eve classic set on Tatooine. And the basic premise, you know, the, the Jedis have landed on Tatooine. They've discovered Anakin. And let's not talk about midichlorians. I know you guys have talked about this movie at length. And I think that's <laughs> enough that the movie needs to be analysed because, yeah, this and the final scene, uh, the, the, the great lightsaber fight, basically redeem it. 
from being the worst movie ever, in my opinion. Um, but this is a great film, a uh, great part of the film. I think the uh, the main premise is he's got to beat Sebulba, who immediately is kind of positioned as the bad guy. Anakin is the slave who has to win, as I mentioned, because of this weird bet that has been made with his owner that if he wins, he gets free. He's built this pod race himself. And it's a pretty it's a pretty fun, entertaining race. And it spawned, obviously, a great PlayStation game out of it. I replayed that game recently, and that is still incredible. It's genuinely great, isn't it? Because it, and it, yeah. it shows you how good a concept the pod race was. And I was going to go into a bit more detail here about how I think they actually, it, it sums up what's wrong with the movie as well, because it's a random scene in the middle of this film. And there's all these great characters in it. So this is when I went back to it. This is what struck me is all the characters in it have incredible names and clearly have incredible backstories. So you have Dud Bolt, Gas Gango, uh, Mohucknick. You have Bowls Raw, the Sneevil from Sneeve. That's, that's <laughs> his name and his nickname. Like that's actually said. You know, you have Sebulba. You obviously sorry, have Anakin sorry, Skywalker. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Bowls, Bowls Raw, the Sneevil from Sneeve. <laughs> yeah, that's like, they all have nicknames. So they all have the, like, the something from something. So Anakin is the human from Tatooine. That's a shit nickname. You, I'm fairly sure you also just... You also no, said it's, Mick Hucknall in well, there, I think. It's, it's more Hocknick. So it sounds like Mick Hucknall. Maybe it was Mick Hucknall. Who knows? Um, is, his, is his pod painted simply red? Hey, you're on fire today, and I like this. There's Clegg Holdfast. There's Mars Guo. Um, there's all sorts. So there's all these great characters, but you literally see them for like a split second. Clegg Holdfast is definitely a Toast of London character. Yeah, it's half of these... Clegg Holdfast. <laughs> Aldar Bido as well, that's another Toast of London name. But this is the thing with this, this, this great scene, and it's only 10 minutes long, and it's packed into this tiny segment of the movie, and these characters are just kind of thrown in. Sebulba has one scene with Jar Jar Binks, which is basically a comedy scene, and I put comedy in inverted commas, you know, air quotes. But really, if you're doing an Anakin Skywalker origin movie, this should have been the climax of it. And the whole thing could have built up to this. You know, you introduce those characters that you give them kind of cool. Like the great thing with Ready Player One that what Graham was talking about is you kind of know those characters. If you understand the references, you get the DeLorean, you get the Batmobile, etc. You kind of know a bit of the backstory. But with this race, watching it back, as entertaining as it is, and Anakin comes back from basically yeah. his car doesn't start because all of his friends are his mechanics. Fun fact, all those kids that all get one painful sentence of dialogue that's all the producers kids and i hate all of them for putting their kids in that movie because they're like ah anakin you gotta win the race and then the other <laughs> one's like yeah annie beat that bad sebulba and the other one's like yeah we love you annie and it's like panning from one to the next one you know the producers were like that's my kid that's my kid like i hate that but that aside that's before the race and that, you know it was just a, i had to get that off my chest yeah just a really entertaining entertaining thing and again going back to george lucas he does understand how to make like, you know, the the Battle of Yavin, the Battle of Endor, etc., the Battle of Hoth. Like, he knows how to make things involving spaceships quite entertaining. He knows how to pace things. So I think that there's a lot of that he, He's to very it. good for set pieces. Yeah, exactly. When And when he's not overdoing the yeah. graphics, when he's not overdoing the special effects, he's really good. And this, that's what's such a shame about The Phantom Menace is it has two great scenes, genuinely great Star Wars scenes in it, but just ruined by the rest of the movie being awful. And yeah, obviously Anakin wins the big race, so he gets freed. Sebulba has a hilarious crash where he basically, his his whole pod just disintegrates around him. He ends up rolling on the floor, bouncing, and then making a weird noise, which I think is him just saying like, Podo! But again, yeah. you know, it was where that's where the George Lucas <laughs> of this era was so bad, because it's like, George, this isn't the moment for a comedy moment. Like, you don't need, no one's going to laugh at that. Like, you don't need that. Also, like... 
they're going at like a thousand miles an hour, aren't they? Yeah. And they're being shot at he by the sand he, people, he which just, is a great addition. Yeah, he wouldn't just roll on the floor and survive. But yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. If anything we learned from Cool Runnings was that, you know, in a bobsled, <laughs> your bones don't break. They shatter. Yeah, exactly. So there's no way that Sebulba would fall out of a pod, have it disintegrate, and then just kind of go, ah, bleh. Yeah, unless and then he doesn't have him. bones. Maybe I that's think maybe he's, he's got an exoskeleton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm. no bones, exoskeleton. Oh, yeah, no, that's it, he's jelly. Yeah, the thing that bothered me, though, and I did speak about this briefly on the previous episode, but he, like, Sebulba sabotages Anakin's pod, and he does it, A, in broad daylight, like, there's no hiding it, and then also is brilliantly timed to be uh, climactic for the film, for the, for the race, and it just about kicks in when things are looking like they're going quite well for Anakin, and then... The sabotage obviously is timed to, to kick in there, which I'm not entirely sure he would be able to to program in the short amount of time that well, he was. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is this is a pod race that was apparently built by a slave in his spare time. Yeah, imagine what imagine so, what he could have done with a bit of sponsorship, well, he, a bit of funding. Yeah, he would have dominated. <laughs> he would have been he would have been dominating like Lewis Hamilton in F1. So, if anything, for the pod racing scene, it's good that he had to build it himself. <laughs> I mean, more independent entries. That's what we need. But he also. He also says that he's the only human who can pod race. Yeah, like it really speaks to his arrogance. It, it speaks to it like, speaks to how bad. Fuck so off, there was kid. that throwaway line, wasn't there, in A New Hope, where Obi Wan Kenobi says, "Your dad was the best fighter pilot in the galaxy." George Lucas had that in his head and was like, "Right, that means that Anakin Skywalker has to be the only person who can do anything involving a spaceship." Because later he goes and destroys the big Trade Federation ship. As a kid, when the entire fleet are like, oh, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. So that is annoying. Oh, the, the, and- the, entire, the entire air force of like 18 people. Yeah, and they're just completely clueless. <laughs> just 18 dudes. This is why, like, I think... Have you tried shooting at it? No. <laughs> yeah, like, how's this, how's this exploding? This is why, though, if you were to remake an Anakin Skywalker origin film, you go back to that pod race, but you make him 10 years older, and you say, right, he's, he's 15 years old, rather than being five or whatever he was, 10 and you actually make him, you know, he's, he's coming of age, or even he's in his early 20s, and, you know, build the, build the film around that kind of whole, him trying to escape from Tatooine, I think would be great. So it, it's, it is, it's, 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 it's my it's, favourite movie kind of racing scene, but it's kind of tinged with frustration and disappointment at all of the clear things that are wrong with it. I'd, I'd, I'd never thought of that before, that it was the, it is a climactic scene in a movie yeah. that they've put in the middle yeah. of a film. Because and, and- it's, it's a good it's a good 15 minutes long. Right? Yeah, I think I timed it at 12 minutes from the actual beginning to when yeah. Anakin wins the race. And it then goes yeah. into two of the driest scenes in the, like the entire Star Wars prequel. Like, you know, it's back Hell to the there. trade for... It is a desert, mate. <laughs> hey. Mate, Ian, again, we just need to get him his own podcast. This is you know, just endless jokes. <laughs> <laughs> just me saying terrible, setting myself up for bad yeah. puns. Don't worry, just, just, I'll just keep talking and just throw them, throw them back. Yeah, it goes back to Trade Federation <laughs> stuff, which is just, you know, Natalie Portman talking to a bunch of dudes about stuff that no one cares about. And you're like, how have you gone from this pod, pod race to that? So, yeah, it, it, the, the pacing of it is just completely gone. It, as a standalone scene, I would put it in there. If you ignore all the other stuff, all the criticisms of it, it's a standalone scene. It's super entertaining. There's some really amusing ways that these podcasts break. And the laser between the two podcasts... Uh, I keep saying podcast instead of pod race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pod race, the, the podcast scene from uh, Phantom Menace. The the laser that kind of- oh, yeah. what 
what would what would Anakin's podcast have been? <laughs> Is it just like how to build robots or just sand yeah. or something yeah, like sand that? Sand that nobody asked for is what it would be called, because he hates sand. <laughs> um, but it's the it's the, the the pods themselves do look like they just look great. I remember having all the Lego sets of them. They you know, they're the sort of things that as a kid especially you look at and you're like, that's really cool. You know, like the Millennium Falcon, you look at and you're like, that's just a cool spacecraft. With the laser between the generators, like I thought, I always thought that that was just it was just a cool concept. Yeah. So from a visual point of view, it's great. From a scene, standalone scene, I think it's great. So if you ignore everything else that I've said uh, bad about it, I think it's up there with uh, the two that you guys have brought in. So importantly, then, Nate, mm. what part of the pogo race are we taking in to weapons on cars and T Rex and King Kong. Yeah, see, this one I'm actually struggling with. So when you first asked me this, I was thinking, how am I going to get this into the pod race? There is a there's a hilarious bit. I'm just going to say this because it, it it's one of the bits of the pod race that I'd kind of forgotten how funny it is is that Jabba the Hutt is the guy kind of doing the start. Uh, he he like does the start noise, doesn't he? <laughs> and in it, he's just like eating random ins like giant bug things or like you know other creatures well, isn't it he 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 bites the head off something and spits it at a god yeah exactly and that starts the race i think yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you, if you just had that in the so while all this other madness that we've talked about in this new world of f1 is going on you know you've got you've got king kong you've got you've got the dinosaur you've got all the weapons and you've got you've just got jabba the hut sat there just like I guess every lap just spitting something into a gong and it's like oh there's 15 laps left there's the gong yeah, that implies organized or galactic organized crime is going to be in, uh, involved in F1, and that definitely makes it more interesting. Yeah. Which is a narrative F1 needs. It could absolutely get behind that narrative and spin it. I think people would love that. Well, I don't know about you guys. I thought F1 really deteriorated when they got involved with the huts. <laughs> An F1 race on the outer rim. I mean, yeah, you know. I was so disappointed a couple of months ago because so there's two races in Bahrain coming up, and one of them is on the outer ring of the Bahrain circuit. So it's basically an oval. And I was like, oh, a race on the outer ring. It sounds like a pod race. And it got like four likes. And I was like, you know what, guys? I'm, I'm, I'm not even, I'm just past mad. I'm disappointed that no one else liked that. Because that's a great tweet. My final choice then, because we're only doing two each this time, is 1959's Ben-Hur which weirdly was already the third adaptation of the book that this is based on. I haven't watched Ben-Hur in a long time, so I'm fairly sure the plot is that Jesus makes a man the best chariot racer ever. I think he meets Jesus after the chariot race, doesn't he? From my very limited memory of he meets him twice. He, but, he, he, meets him, he meets him once, then he meets him again. He's like, oh, oh yeah, like, he oh. does meet him twice. Yeah. So I forgot because it took seven hours of my life up. I was going to say, yeah, just summed up a three, three and a half hour film for you guys there. It's just, oh, that's, that's that Jesus guy. End credits. I've not watched Ben Hur, but it sounds like Jesus is like a genie in, in Ben Hur. <laughs> pretty much grants wishes. Much accurate. I wish I yeah. And the third wish was that Jesus becomes free. <laughs> I think I think that was Ben Hur. So Ben Hur is mostly famous for the chariot race, which is kind of already down in history as arguably one of the best action set pieces in cinema. I did a lot of research on this and the sheer scale of it is just insanity. The set went across 18 acres. So at the time, that was the largest set ever built. 
It cost a million dollars to build, and it took a thousand workmen a year to carve the racetrack out of a quarry. It was five stories tall. The straights were 460 meters long, and they used 36,000 tons of sand. They then built an identical track next door so that people could practice on it. Because this was the 50s, everything was done actual people driving these massive chariots. They had to bring in 78 horses and 18 chariots, and the chariots weighed over 400 kilos each. So the actual race was, it was nine teams of four horses racing these chariots around this oval. So this, uh, the circus, I believe it's called. (laughs) The racetrack was modeled on an actual historical site uh, in Jerusalem. They trained, so Charlton Heston is in the lead, and then Stephen Boyd had to train how to drive chariots because they were actually driving these uh, uh, the chariots through the race. And everyone involved had to do 100 practice laps to make sure that they were competent enough to be able to steer, you know, steer these things. Because I, I mean, I can't comprehend how you would control four fucking horses from a chariot. It's... It's insane. I mean, my car's got more than four horsepower, and I do okay. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get how you, as a person, would control a chariot. It's insane. Yeah, they managed to get Charlton Heston to do it. They shot for five weeks for over three months, and to film it, they covered 200 miles of the racetrack. Because of the way the cameras worked, uh, they had to fix the camera to the top of an Italian car and drive down the side of the track. And they could only get very quick shots of the chariots because of the, um, it's like the focusing distance of these like 1950s cameras. But it turns out the Italian cars weren't quicker than the horses. (laughs) So they had to upgrade to an American car, which then also wasn't as quick as the horses. (laughs) Because of that and how little usable footage they got, it's a ratio of 263 to 1 of unused footage to usable footage. Much like which this is... podcast. <laughs> yeah. hey. Very Charlton Heston-esque as well. Like a lot of the movies he did seemed like he was just like, let's just make like an epic movie. And movies in the 50s in general, like the big ones were just like, they were like, right, this movie, if it's four hours long, then good. Then we've got it. Like Gone with the Wind, I know it was yeah. 39, but <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Like let's make this as long as we can. Yeah, like it, it, it was a proper kind of like event film. Yeah. Uh, so the, the film did end up winning... Like all of the Oscars, <laughs> like I think basically every award it was put up for it ended Best up winning. Horses. It was shot really well, obviously. So this was actually shot mainly by like the second teams, and that included a young Sergio Leone. Mm. So you had like some very like high quality people involved in actually filming things. The bulk of it was directed by a guy called Yakima Kanut, who was an actor, stuntman action director, and former rodeo champion. Nice. That's a life well lived, that, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. It's um, <laughs> The sheer work that went behind everything is just insane. So no horses died out of the 78 that were used. There were no serious injuries. So Yakima's son doubled for Charlton Heston, and he kind of badly cut his chin, which is where a lot of these urban myths started that somebody died while filming it. But the main reason he got injured was because he ignored his dad's advice and didn't strap in to the chariot. He loses his footing and kind of falls over the edge, which is why there is the scene in the race of Charlton Heston climbing back onto the chariot. So they just kind of used the footage. 
He's like, well, fuck it. It kind of looks cool. We'll, we'll drag it in. The race itself is crazy. Like I said, you had, it was nine teams uh, or nine chariots dragged by four horses apiece, just raring round this oval. The main character, so it's, it's Ben-Hur and his brother and shit's gone down and, you know, whatever. But one of the characters has got like proper spikes on his chariot wheels. So I'm guessing I already know Nate's answer to his question later on. Yeah, exactly <laughs> this. Because this is what I, when I think Ben-Hur chariot race, I just remember Masala's spikes on it. And it was such a cool thing. Masala, yes, because there's, yeah. there's, there's bits when he's, he's actually kind of, kind of just touching Ben-Hur's chariot but not enough to like take the wheel off, but that's how he's taken off, taken out everyone else is the wheels get kind of completely removed by that. Spike. But you, you know how they made that effect dynamite. I was not expecting you to say dynamite. I was thinking you were going to say something a lot less cool. Yeah, but it's, it's so cool. I, I was really shocked that that's, that's clearly where the scorpions in Greece stole that tactic from during the uh, Greece lightning race. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Greece is basically an unofficial remake of Ben Hutt. Yeah, I did not John, know. John, John Travolta is the Messiah character. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and obviously Leo Balmudo was a big Ben Hur fan. Spent his time when he was ditching class and being a being a thirty year old teenager watching Ben Hur. But it's it's crazy and it is really exciting and uh, kind of like what we talked about with the thing in a previous episode. So Ben Hur was remade in 2016, and it's it was critically panned, it's completely unnecessary. But the chariot race in the remake is less believable than the one from 50, 60 years ago. And that makes sense because this was a real chariot. Like they were real horses on a real oval driven by real people. And you just can't, you can't beat that. Like the sheer sense of like (laughs) death race had to speed up the cars. Like nothing was sped up here. It's just, yeah. yeah, And it's a really good point as well, because one of the things, you know, looking at, like the pod race or Star Wars movies or a lot of a lot of movies nowadays is the human eye is very good at noticing when something isn't real even if it looks great you kind of just know but watching Ben Hur again I watched it before this um, this podcast and there's everything the, the shaking of the camera the noise everything's making the fact the dust is being kicked up mm. like that all looks completely real it just adds something to it even if even if the race wasn't that entertaining the visual scene of it is is awesome so yeah I completely agree that that makes it. Pretty incredible as a movie scene. In kind of researching this, I also found out that there don't know if don't know if people know, uh, assuming Nate does, but I have a history degree. So there was a guy born in 104 AD who was a chariot racer called Gaius it's like Apuleius Diocles, who was a chariot racer for 24 years, which was which was crazy because obviously the mortality rate in chariot racing was quite exceptional. This guy has gone down in history as being the most successful athlete ever. Wow. His his career earnings, obviously being Roman times, there's kind of a bit of leeway, but a lot of estimates go that in his career, in modern day equivalent, he made $15 billion. Wow. He's pretty good then. $15 billion, total career earnings, is more than in their careers, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods... Floyd Mayweather, Michael Schumacher, Cristiano Ronaldo, Kobe Bryant, David Beckham, Shaq, LeBron James, and Avengers Endgame and Avatar made combined. <laughs> it's enough to clear the national debt of Jamaica and still have enough money left to make Avatar. That's oh, but please don't. Just just uh, clear the debt of America of Jamaica. It's enough to clear the national debt of Jamaica 
and still have money left to buy a massive fancy super yacht. Nice. Yeah, that's better. Or buy every copy of Avatar um, and the rights to it and then pull it from everything ever, right? Yes. Right? Ah, but then if you if you bought Avatar, it would throw off the maths. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, we'll come back to that. And that's just that's that's just not a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> but yeah, I mean for for me the 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 race is incredible just because it's it's the sheer the visceral nature of the city. I think like, the fact it, that it's it was shot 60 years ago it just has to come into it. Like that is fucking impressive. Yeah, when you think about what it's got to compete with these days, the fact that that's still on a list of 6, I think it's pretty pretty and justifiably as well. I think oh, yeah. it's pretty impressive. It is it is the closest you'll get to because it must have been, you know, 2000 years ago when this kind of thing was happening, you know, all the fucking time. It must have been, you know, a hell of a spectacle. Like the sheer noise of that many kind of horses and a crowd and like it, it must have been incredible. It makes you miss live sport. <laughs> the best YouTube comment on it was uh, Fast and Furious, Jerusalem Drift. <laughs> Would The Rock make it better or worse? What are we saying? Oh, better. He would drag the chariot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what would happen. Stop the spike with his bicep. Just lean out and just bicep the spike away. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes ever is in Fast and Furious 7. So it's The Rock has got his arm in a plaster cast. He looks out the window and there's an explosion. So he flexes his arm and says, Daddy's got to go to work. And the plaster <laughs> cast explodes. So yeah, he would make Ben Hur better. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah all, all of us. But they're going to space in the next in the next Fast and Furious film, not Ben Hur. Um, <laughs> ben so Hur in I'm, space. <laughs> that's not as far away from time travel as a series like that should be. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe we will get Fast and Furious uh, chariots. Hey guys, future Ian here. So because podcasts are generally recorded in the past. We recorded this before the news that Elliot Page had come out as being transgender. That means throughout this episode, we refer to him by his dead name and use incorrect pronouns. So we apologize for any offense caused. We wish him the best. Uh, For my second choice, not a classic, what you would think of when you think of movie races, but a great race all the same. It is particularly good in the context of the film and everything that happens over the course of the film and how it all kind of culminates together. And that race is a roller derby race and it is in 2009's Whip It, which is, I've only watched fairly recently, but I'm annoyed it took me that long to watch because it is a lot of fun great film so it was drew barrymore's directorial debut i guess it's sort of a coming of age movie it follows ellen page as uh bliss um and she's basically stuck in a like rural town in texas i think it is and she's just navigating being an awkward teen nothing to do in this town she's got an overbearing mother who's trying to force her to like live out her pageant dreams and so the perfect antidote to all of that is going and join a roller derby team in austin and then kind of everything changes from there so she joins a team called the hurl scouts and they've basically been hopeless for ages she joins them you know they start to kind of turn their fortunes around it's the classic kind of like underdog sports movie but with a sport that's not really ever talked about i guess or hasn't really been much on on film at least that i've ever seen before i have the same feeling about death race (laughs) just not not enough mainstream coverage of a death race there's not there's not 
Does ESPN have a, a death race? We don't, desk? and it's one of the no. one of the great things that we're we're all demanding behind the scenes. We're like, we need that. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. There is like an actual ESPN the Oak Show, though, right? Yeah, they brought it in. It was um, it was so popular from Dodgeball that uh, they then they brought it back at the beginning of the pandemic when there was no sport on at all. And yeah. they were playing old hot dog eating contests and all of those kind of crazier, weird sports. That like, I think roller derby has actually been on the Ocho a lot. Before. That's why I used to love. Um, I still remember as a kid waking up early to watch Transworld Sport. Yeah. Amazing oh, show. Sport was great. Which was just <laughs> it, it was the only way to describe it is it was the other category for sporting TV shows. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever seen the um the competitive tag stuff as well that's on like a parkour there was, circuit um, indoors? Uh there was an advert for that before a Wales game recently. And I wish I'd watched the tag. So, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good it's fun. The sports. I I still remember a Transworld Sport one of the entire sport was you're in dune buggies trying to drive up a near vertical incline, <laughs> and it's whoever got the highest one. And I don't understand nice. how you would get into that. But yes, roller derby, <laughs> roller derby. So yeah, and I think as I mentioned, like the the context for the, the race is is great. It's the kind of classic underdog sports movie. You've also got the fact that her parents are really against her doing roller derby, but then just before the final, like her dad comes in when she's meant to be taking part in this pageant and convinces her mum to let her take part and the whole team rock up and they're like all buzzing, like getting her to the to the track so they can take part. And they've they've always been crap, right? So until Ellen Page's characters come along, um, she's really turned their fortunes around. So they've got a real shot at kind of winning the championship for the first time. Yeah, I just think it's the whole kind of the whole kind of arc of sort of finding her place amongst all these misfits who have really kind of got her back, I guess. You've obviously got Jimmy Fallon commentating I'm, on I'm, the race. I'm vetoing this choice right now. I was going to say that. You so, immediately have invalidated your choice. Over to Nate for his next choice. Yes. <laughs> you had me until Jimmy Fallon, dude. Like, I was in. Because... I was like, I need to go watch this movie. <laughs> and yeah. How about the fact his character is called Hot Tub Johnny no. Rocket? <laughs> and you've just gone and totally <laughs> redeemed yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, the race itself is, is the Hurl Scouts. They're facing the undefeated Holy Rollers. And the whole, all of the like roller derby names are just fantastic. They're all kind of like you have the team names, but then everyone has their own like nickname. So Ellen Page's character is called Babe Ruthless. <laughs> um, you've got Kristen Wig playing Maggie Mayhem. Zoe Bell is Bloody Holly. Uh, Drew Barrymore is Smashley Simpson. You have the rapper Eve playing <laughs> Rosa Sparks. Um, which, but to be honest, we watched. There's a there's a documentary on Netflix that is called um, Home Game, and Roller Derby. Yes, I, I was. I, yeah, I, Roller Derby is one of yeah. them. And and all, I, could, I couldn't re- I couldn't remember which documentary it was. I, I was sat here the entire time. Graham's been talking, trying to remember the name, and I just it just popped into my head. But yeah, their names are amazing, and the names are one of the reasons I want to go and watch Roller Derby because they're all like that. Like names where you go, oh, but also like, oh, cool, like that's clever, a clever bit of wordplay. So yeah, love and that. And then obviously Jimmy Fallon as as hot tub Johnny Rocket <laughs> because he basically bought a hot tub to try and get girls to find him interesting. <laughs> but yeah, the the race itself, you've kind of got you know good old fashioned roller derbying. There's lots of massive hits. You've got Drew Barrymore literally beating the shit out of someone in the middle of the race. They obviously say the name of the thing in the thing when they say that they do the whip it. In fact, they in the final race they do the double whip it, which is 
two people doing a whip it, obviously. <laughs> so what what what's a whip it? So whipping it is one one roller derby person grabbing onto someone who's behind them and whipping them forward to give them a uh, boost of speed. So the double whip it is there's God someone didn't pay attention to the documentary, yeah. <laughs> I was I was too busy trying to find like what's my roller derby name generators. But how does how does roller derby work? So roller derby is is very convoluted, but they do explain it quite well in the film. But basically, you have a bunch of people in the main pack, and then you have two jammers, and they're at the back of the pack, and they start I think five seconds after the main pack, and you score points by the jammer going through the main pack, overtaking those people. Um, and every person that you overtake, I think by the end of the lap or by the end of a couple of laps, you get points for. Okay. But obviously it's very physical, so people are trying to stop the jammers getting through. So there's a lot of moves to try and obviously fuck them up, basically. And there's some other stuff that sounds a bit more complicated when I was looking into it, but they don't really go into the film go into it in the film, so it's I'm not going to bother now. But yeah, essentially you get more points by overtaking, but then everyone kind of beats each other up in 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 doing so. You know, there's elbows to faces, there's like moves that literally take out the entire opposing team. It's it's good fun as as Nate was saying, like I'd love to go and see this live because it looks like a, a good night out. I I remember talking to someone who used to do it and it sounds fucking brutal. Yeah, it does it does sound very very brutal. It looks quite brutal as well. I don't know that I'd I'd probably be any good at it. But yeah, I mean the whole thing is it's a really kind of closely fought race as as you would expect in, you know, a climactic movie. The underdogs are kind of holding their own. It's half time, it's a draw 24-24. And then it really kind of comes down to a battle between Adam Page's character and then Juliette Lewis, who plays Iron Maven. Um <laughs> Excellent. And they're like the two jammers at the end trying to score the points. Essentially, there's a bit where Ellen Page, uh, the Holy Rollers, the whole team gets taken out. Ellen Page leaps over them, which is a callback to a bit earlier in the film where she is unable to to jump and um, continue roller skating. But then as she lands, she gets absolutely cleaned out, like concussed, fucked up, but manages to carry on. But um, anyway, it kind of goes down right down to the wire. But unfortunately, the whole scouts don't manage to win. So the Roly, the Holy Rollers keep their undefeated record. But I kind of, I kind of like that because it's a nice kind of change of pace for a lot of these movies where the underdog always seems to come out on top regardless. This was a little bit more believable, I guess. But yeah, it's just in the context, as I say, in the context of the film, it it's just it kind of it encapsulates the journey of the film within. A single race which i really like you know all of the kind of camaraderie everyone coming together finding your place in amongst all of this kind of where you kind of really feel like in general you don't fit in and also kind of being the shit out of the other team it's it's great it's a great film and more we we need more roller derby films yeah i'm all i, I could get behind that is it one of those endings where they lose but they come out of it thinking like i you know I won inside. A bit like Cool Runnings or Friday Night Lights, the movie where it's an agonizing defeat. But like the whole point is like they didn't need to win to to win like the inner battle that they had going on. They are. I, I think the technical name of that is the Rocky ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Rocky one ending because it then are... ruins the Rocky ending afterwards. Yeah. Every 
everyone everyone forgets that Rocky didn't win. Yeah, until Rocky. you said it, I had forgotten. <laughs> I just assumed he won everyone. Yeah, like <laughs> it, it, it's just because of because he basically became an action hero. <laughs> Everyone forgets that the first one was like a straight up underdog sports book. So you mean the the cow carcass beat him? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a heartbreaking scene. <laughs> it was slaughtered. Um, yeah, all, all done to a light acoustic cover of Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it is exactly like that. They're they're kind of just as happy coming in second as the Holy Rollers are having their undefeated season three years in a row. This is the best they've ever done. So it's kind of um, it's it's a it's quite a heartwarming film, despite it probably not being the most obvious choice of um, genre for, for something like that. But yeah, it's it's great. More people need to see it. It's I think it's quite underrated. The closest I can think of to a roller derby movie is Rollerball, and that's not Roller Derby. It's Rollerball. <laughs> <laughs> I think, to preempt your question, what I would take is the names for F1. So if you had names where drivers could basically be like, for this race, I'm going to be called whatever the name is. So for example, Ian and I always joke about a wrestling name, Mine would be Vicious Delicious. Imagine if that was Lewis Hamilton or whatever it was out in front, like, and he got Vicious Delicious <laughs> out in front. Like, I think it just adds a ridiculousness to it, but especially in American sports, they lean into that quite well, where they kind of like, a bit like you were saying with the Ocho and, you know, in Dodgeball, they do it really well, where it's kind of like, we know this is ridiculous, but yeah. we're going to treat it like it's serious. And then you kind of get on board with it. So I'd take that for Formula One. I think that would be mega. For, for anyone... Wondering, uh, my wrestling name was the Terror Pin. Yes, sorry, I forgot to mention. And I was turtle themed. Yeah. <laughs> not, not as, not as relevant. Ian and I spent more time creating our characters so they looked exactly like us than I think we did actually fighting with them on the game, which says a lot about us as people. I think. <laughs> so, would you, um, as as a journalist covering it, would you have a a journalist sort of roller derby F one name? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think I'd have to, wouldn't I? I'd have to come up with something. Nathan Bag of Nails. That, if that, if you just come up with that off the top of your head, that's good. If you've researched it, then you lose a few points. <laughs> I, I cannot stress how pleased I am. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> oh, um, it's the simple things that get you through the day. To round us off with the sixth pick, I was actually kind of struggling with this because I was like, I've, I've, I've already mentioned Seabiscuit, which is a horse movie, and Pod Racing, which is a space-based race. And as a racing journalist, I was like, I need something that's at least vaguely related to racing. There's obviously a few candidates here that I overlooked. So Rush being one of them, I would recommend anyone go see Rush, which is a superb movie. Ron Howard, who I think always gets historical stuff pretty good. Like he puts a lot of attention into getting it. So it feels like it's a real movie. That was very nearly it. And it actually was going to be it until I went back and watched the final scene from this movie. And remember that as a standalone movie, it's just way better. So this is Days of Thunder, Tom Cruise movie, Nicole Kidman, directed by Tony Scott, which I always forget. And I'm just going to read you the tag for this movie because I think this, this kind of sums up where we're at. So it's a NASCAR film. Cole Trickle, a budding racer, is recruited by a big brand but meets with an accident. However, when he returns, he has to face an adversary who not only wants to defeat him but also disable him. Now, that as a tagline, you're like, okay, interesting. And it's fairly accurate, to be honest with you. Although they don't make that big of a deal of it. But I just thought when I read that again, I was like, that's that's kind of a weird selling point for the movie. But yeah, to give it to you, I guess the basic overview is Tom Cruise wants to win the Indy 500. He decides that he wants to do NASCAR instead. Now, NASCAR is different to Indy. Uh, it's basically big stock cars. So every car is the same. Thinks he has a better chance of winning. The trouble he has is that NASCAR is a very insular world and he does, he struggles with communicating with his pit crew. He struggles with all the terminology. He struggles with the way to drive the cars, etc. 
So that's where he kind of meets his, his issues. He has a rival early on who he becomes friends with. And then uh, his rival later on uh, is basically the guy who's like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end your career. I'm going to put you into the wall. And he has all of these things he keeps doing in his first races. Like, you know, he keeps making silly mistakes. There's an incredible bit where he, he wants to pit during one of the early races. And his pit crew says, we can't pit right now because we're all eating ice cream, which I thought was ridiculous until <laughs> I read into this. And it's actually based on a real NASCAR incident where a guy came to pit. was like, can I pit now? And they're like, no, give us two more laps because we're just finishing ice cream. We've got like messy hands, which I think was just an incredible thing to put in. His crew chief is uh, Robert Duval. And John C. Riley, who goes on obviously to feature in Talladega Nights much later in his career, has a very small part in this. So he's kind of almost testing the waters of his NASCAR uh, acting. I, I, lo- I love the serious films John C. Riley yeah, turns it's, up. It's amazing. And I didn't notice. Because he'll, Tal- he'll do Talladega Nights and Gangs of yeah. New York. <laughs> I feel like he, he just does one of each. He's like, okay, I'll keep going through. This one's for me. This one's for yeah. the Academy. There's a few great scenes in this. So there's the middle one where Tom Cruise gets injured and then that's how he meets Nicole Kidman. And in real life, this is what started their real life relationship. A great fact about this was Nicole Kidman is a neuroscientist. So Tom Cruise has a minor brain injury from this crash that he comes back from eventually. According to Internet Movie Database, Nicole Kidman asked the director if she should study neuroscience to get into character and she was told it would be a waste of time which I just think is fantastic because of course it would have been. Most <laughs> people spend like their lives studying that. And she's like, should I just study it for this film? But yeah, the, the final scene is... Did he become a Scientologist uh, after the brain injury? <laughs> yeah, well, I assume, yeah, I assume that this fictional brain injury maybe led to it in some way. Who knows? Who's um, his competitor? Is that the Russ Wheeler character? Yeah, yeah, Russ Wheeler. And he's played by, I always forget his name, but it's the... It's the it's Carrie Elwes. Carrie, yes, the guy from Liar Liar. And yeah. Is that three in a row? So... Yeah, so that's the third episode in a row we've had Carrie nice. Westport. He pops up in a lot. He's like John C. Riley. He pops up in a lot of films, and I'm always like, oh, it's that guy from Liar Liar. And I never know his name, so I'm glad I now know him. What a random person to have on three in a row as well. <laughs> yeah, I think I win him like a prize. But yeah, so basically, from a storyline perspective, there's not much to this movie. It's very much guy, fish out of water, has a crash, meets a woman who basically peels him back to health, and he goes back to win the big race, which is the Daytona 500. And he does it by going against all of the mistakes that he was doing earlier in the movie in terms of driving that cost him all those races before. And the scene at the end is fantastic. It's just very NASCAR. It's not, it doesn't go down the scene of some movies. Like, so Sylvester Sloan did a film uh, in 2000 called Driven that was meant to be about Formula One. And it's actually about IndyCar and has some of the funniest crash scenes I've ever seen in it because they all defy the laws of physics. Days of Thunder doesn't do that, they're all very realistic crashes. Uh, and the racing's all very, you know, it, it's done, but it's clearly done from a place of love about the series it's covering, which as a fun fact, most NASCAR drivers and IndyCar drivers, there was a poll recently where they said, what's your favorite film? And this one, like hands down, they're all just like, this is easily the best film made about racing. And yeah, it's just good fun. It's got a great quote in there, which is now used in NASCAR races. So Tom Cruise gets hit from behind by another car and he's, he just hit me. And um, Duval says, no, that was Rubin and Rubin is racing which is now literally what NASCAR drivers will say every single race. They'll just say, well, Rubin is racing, which is what they describe as hitting each other, you know, bumping and basically doing bumper car stuff to each other. So yeah, just a good fun movie. And this is a good fun climax to that film. And unlike Whip It, it's very clear throughout the film, Tom Cruise is going to come out on top, just the way it's framed. And to go back to what the film you brought in, in Ben-Hur was actually, because that's an oval race as well. Tony Scott used Ben-Hur and the way that's paced to pace his own races in that because he said in Ben-Hur one of the great things about it is you're never quite sure whether Ben-Hur is going to win those races 
So he said, I want to get some mm. of that drama into this, even though it should be quite obvious to anyone watching nowadays that Tom Cruise is going to win. So that shows you, going back to what we were saying about how impressive it is, Ben-Hur is in there. The fact that a, a NASCAR movie in the 90s was using that film as a reference point is pretty impressive. It's just unbelievable after the crash, you know, when they get out of the car and they just sprint down so they can cross the finish yeah. line. It's just- well, you say that, but the climax of the movie is Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall, who have been kind of at odds the whole movie, decide to just have a, a foot race together and that's the end of the movie. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's a joke between the characters, like which one of them is fastest on foot, etc. So that literally is how that, it's literally the, the actual ending after the race. Nice. So you're nearly there. I was going to say, T- Tony Scott is, I, I don't think he ever gets the credit he's warranted for how he directs, like, especially action films and action set pieces. Like, he was an incredible director. And like you said, I kind of watched the, rewatched kind of some of the racing scenes. It kind of really comes through in there. I didn't know the Ben-Hur thing, but it's very obvious now you've said it, yeah. looking back on how he did them. Yeah, I didn't know it until when I, and when I read it, I had the same thing. I was like, that does. there's a lot of the ways the car's going to bump together that look similar to what they've done there. So that, I thought that was really yeah. interesting. They also wish with Genie Jesus. No, that is the one glaring omission that Days of Thunder has. It's Genie Lord Zenu. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen NASCAR or have you just seen... Yeah, Indy? I have. I've, I went to the Texas Motor yeah. Speedway to watch the race there and it is insane. Like it's... Great fun to watch at a live event. How much of it is watching? Is it is it is it like rugby union or rugby sevens? <laughs> like for me, it was a lot like rugby sevens. But there's a lot of people who go and will just sit and watch 500 laps of it, and you know, yeah, yeah, I can see how you could do that as well. But yeah, we had a few trips to the bar when I went, and but the noise of it alone is just like it's just like incredible. I guess this is a harder question given it's a real. <laughs> is this our <laughs> Our first relevant real sport. Yeah, the first one yeah. is actually a re- based on a real thing. <laughs> so is the answer just you wish Tom Cruise was in F1? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Or Robert Duvall, or, or both. So that means that in order to... So if we take these six films, in order to improve F1 for next season, cars are going to be mounted with weapons. We're mm-hmm. introducing T-Rex and King Kong. Jabba the Hutt is presiding over it. Spikes from Ben-Hur. Great pun names from Whippet and Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall are involved in some capacity. Yes, absolutely. So that's our choices then. So from from my ones, I I guess I have to put Ben-Hur number one out of mine just because the pedigree that comes with the scene, I don't think morally I can put Death Race 2000 ahead of it. <laughs> so out, out of my choices, that's the order of my two. So what, what about you, Graham? Out of the two, you've kind of brought to the table. Probably in the order I went with them. So Ready Player One and then Whip It. I actually prefer the film Whip It to Ready Player One, but I think the race scene in Ready Player One yeah. just has everything. So yeah, that's that's the order for me. Same order for for me as Graham. I'd pick Phantom Menace first, even though I prefer Days of Thunder the whole movie. I just think there's so much about Phantom Menace that that pod racing scene is just I'd like I mean I might even go and watch it after this podcast, for example, like it's that good. So yeah, I'd pick that one. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have time to cover films you'd prefer to Phantom Menace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, there's, there's not enough hours in the day. That's not a six-film podcast. Yeah. All right, so what What about the... Okay, so our final top three uh, races in cinema, then. Like, is, is there a clear... Because for me, I, I don't know if it's because of the, the age I saw it, but the pod race was the first one on the shortlist. <laughs> And it also spawned an incredible video game, and you kind of got to hand it to that. Yeah, the, I think it must be the age we watched it as well. Like, I think if I watched that now, I'd probably be like for the first time, I probably would be less impressed by it. But 
I don't know. I, yeah, I think for me it's the number one just because it it just has everything you want. It was a Star Wars movie. It was spaceships. It was kind of it had cool noises. It had cool things going on in the background. It it also has it also has the fact that it is a, a scene in a terrible film that kind of redeems it a bit, which is, is kind of hard to come across. Yeah, redeem is a strong word, <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. It it may it may not have. It's aged as well as I think any sci-fi film from kind of that time. Like you said, the, the the downside of heavily using CGI means that it is going to age, especially, you know, early 2000s. Which is interesting what Ready Player One will look like in 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and then the flip side of the coin is Days of Thunder and then Ben-Hur. I mean, Ben-Hur visually at least still holds up you know that obviously kind of camera quality and logistics of having to film a scene with camera bolted to the top of a series of cars <laughs> but the actual action in it isn't going to date and you can and again that's kind of proved by the remake looking awful and like what we said with like the thing and the thing okay so we're, we're agreed pod race what are we saying for the rest it's a tough one i <sighs> I mean, Ready Player One for me has just got everything and it's just so much fun. But at the same time, I think the, I guess the significance of Ben-Hur and the fact that I'm fairly sure a lot of people could have died, even though no one did, makes it a little bit more interesting. Apart from the guy, the the, the life of Brian Monty Python guy, I'm sure he didn't survive. But. So it, it does depend who you talk to. So some people claim... People did die filming that scene. Some people claim there wasn't anyone. So it is interesting to see who you'd believe. Like the directors, I'm assuming, wouldn't want to publicize deaths or anything like that. But I, no. I, it, from what I read, it sounds like there were no serious. There were obviously injuries. But yeah, I just don't think you can beat it for an, for an action set piece. It's crazy. Yeah, I'd agree. Doesn't, doesn't rely on references. Right. You know, it's, it's just plot driven. Well, can, it, can a race be plot driven? Oh, the, ra- the race is plot-driven because... Um, it's horse-driven, isn't it? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that, that's, that's fair play. <laughs> yeah, I can't... Not, not even annoyed at that. No, I, I do. I think I think it sneaks it for, for its kind of cultural relevance, I think, and just the fact that it is... It's fantastic as a, as a feat of filmmaking. However, I do think Ready Player One is... A, is it particularly... The thing that the for Ready Player One for me is, and I guess you know you spoke about it with the pod race in terms of like when we watched it. I feel like Ready Player One is kind of the same. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the things that uh, that take part in it, all of the cars, they just feel like stuff from when I was growing up. Stuff I was interested in, and to see it all kind of come together is like the the kind of racing fantasy, and then it's it's there. I mean, it would be great if there was a pod racer and other things in that, but I think licensing probably dictated that it couldn't be. It, it is it is cool, but I spent more time looking at the cars than, like, the race itself didn't actually hold my attention. It was just the, oh, shit, is that, that's Adam West's Batmobile. I would personally put Days of Thunder and Death Race 2000 ahead of Ready Player One. 
because Death Race 2000. <laughs> Death Race right. 2000. Ian really wants to sell this I, race. I cared about what was happening. <laughs> the only references were to the Capes Gimp community. It was great. But I, all right, fine. I would, I would personally put Days of Thunder ahead of Ready Player One, just because the Days of Thunder was a very it is an exhilarating race. It is very, very well filmed by a very talented director. Ready Player One, who drives backwards. Yeah, but that's not the race. That's a separate race. That's okay. A, that's then, a different race. Then nobody finished the race. Same as Ben Hur. I know he he still won the race. Ah, but he didn't finish it. Nobody won. Nobody won the race. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. It, it, it's it's yeah. It's it's not a conventional race, and it's just so much fun. That's the thing that gets for me is is just so much fun. Well, no, but we, we, we decided we aren't going to do Death Race 2000, so we should talk about Death Race 2000. <laughs> my, my, my three would go Podrace, Ben-Hur, Days of Thunder, especially because Days of Thunder is clearly held in high esteem by the actual racing community as well. I think that has a lot going for it, which I, I didn't realise, but it's one of those things where it makes so much sense now you've said it. Yeah. That. Yeah, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, of course. Of course, of course they love be. it. Like, why wouldn't they? Um, yeah, I think I'd go for that same top three. Actually, no, I think Ben Hur has to be in there, and then and then it means I had two two picks I, in the top three as well, so I can gloat. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm 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 willing to come back to Ready Player One in. A, well, what, what, what's the what's the time now? It's 2020. If we come back to Ready Player One in say 60 years, and we'll see how the graphics have held up, and Sorry. if it has if it has held up, we'll. We'll chuck it into the, the top three. Did you just say, yeah. what's the time and now? And you had to check it's your phone to check that it was 2020. <laughs> it and was, it wasn't it, 20 minutes it, past eight. It was a hilarious bit because <laughs> you thought I was going to talk about a time, but I was talking about a year. It's uh, It was a vicious lampoon. <laughs> I personally would put Days of Thunder ahead of Ready Player One. I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's a top three. I think, I think that works for me. I, I, I can't comment because I've not seen Days of Thunder. So um, <laughs> you, you'd enjoy it. But I don't think there was a T-Rex in King Kong. So no. Well, there's, there's going to be an F1 now because I think Nate's got control over that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. I've lobbied the relevant people already. It's going to happen. Yeah, which Excellent. then means when Sylvester Stallone makes another go at an F1 film, it will be involved in that. N- not to go too much into political discourse here, but are you willing to concede that Ready Player One? <laughs> Yes, I. It's no, it, as I say, I can't comment too much because I've not seen Days of Thunder, but I still think Ready Player One deserves to be there. But you know, it's we're going by consensus. I did want to stop the count earlier, but um, I guess I guess that ship has sailed. So, um, yep, consens- consensus rules. Well, that, yeah, at least let, let's have a transition over to our top three while you continue your Ready Player One related battles. <laughs> On yeah. one side. I'm just so, I'm just texting Rudy Giuliani now. So before we go into summing up, is there anything you want to plug or anything like that, Nick? The one thing I will plug is um, on my other podcast, The Pad Hoc, we are raising money for prostate cancer, which involves all three of us, myself, Lawrence Barretto, Chris Medlin, the three hosts, uh, shaving various bits of hair off for charity. So I'm going <laughs> to plug that because I feel like that's a good, a good thing to plug rather than a Daniel Ricciardo you- book or something, if you had written something like that. You could also plug the actual podcast. So it's called the Pad Hoc, and it's um, it's three F1 journalists, and it's basically us just talking a bit of nonsense about life on the road as journalists, and um, find it pretty good fun. 
Uh, we have some good stories on there and occasionally end up talking ourselves into doing something stupid for charity, which is the latest kind of three episodes have been based pretty much around that. So that's been fun. Nice. And where oh, can great. people um, where can people donate? They can donate. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter page where we have the Just Giving links. So if you go to Padhoc, so it's P-A-D-H-O-C, and yeah, you can find it there. When's the, when's the deadline for donating? Deadline is the final race of the season, which is December the 13th. But we might extend it because there might be a chance Lawrence will be at one of the races. We might get him to do it live there. So he's on TV with a completely bald head, which would be fun. Nice. Yeah, well, this, yeah, this should be coming out on the 3rd. So cool. there is still time a week for left. people to yeah, donate week as long as you've listened to this straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But please still do. I mean, we'll keep the we'll keep the page open. Um, so it's never too late to do it retrospectively. All right. So uh, the podcast nobody asked for's final top three then of races in cinema is so number three, uh, the final race from Days of Thunder. Number two is the chariot scene from Ben Hur. And then number one is the pod race. Was it the pod race or was it Anakin doing a podcast? Yeah, both. Him doing yeah. a podcast while he was in the pod race, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. So, and then number one is the pod race from Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, a film which I wish we hadn't talked about so often because it really is awful. Is it the most mentioned uh, film on the podcast now? It's up there with Carrie Elwes. From listening to it, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a frequent thing. So sorry to have kept that yeah. thing going. I'm just, I'm just upset that I've talked more about Carrie L. West than Henry Cavill. Anyway, if you agreed with our choices, if you have other choices, you can find us on Instagram on the podcast nobody asked for. And if you also uh, think Ready Player One has been uh, mistreated here, you can tweet us about it at nobody asked for pod with the number four. And you can rate us on Apple Podcasts because algorithms and all of that. Uh, Nate, do you want to say a final word? Pod race. So um, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it a lot. No one asked for this.